I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we are joined by Terry Ogburn, the renowned owner and lead business coach of Ogburn's Business Solutions. His proprietary coaching system and personal devotion to the development of others has contributed to the success of hundreds of small to large businesses. Terry began his business career in 1979 when he invested his last $118.42 to start an air conditioning service business. At that time, he had no car or truck, but he did have the knowledge and ability to build relationships. By 1983, he was a top five nominee for Small Businessman of the Year. In 84, he won the award for Outstanding Young Young Businessman of the Year for the entire state of Florida. And in 85, successful in his business and recognized as a leader in the business community, he began to mentor other small business owners. In 1989, he developed his own business success program based on his experience and his teachings of his favorite business books. His program was so successful that in 1992, Terry was asked to join Uniglobe Active Travel as the director of operations to boost individual store performance. Within months, he took the store to a $2.5 million travel agency. He then took the program national to improve performance organization-wide, and in 94, he became a founding team member of Exit Travel International and took the role of director of training and development. Within two years, the company grew to 11 regional offices with over 2,000 franchisees and went public late 1996. I've asked them to join us here today so we can all sail our ships a little better. So, Terry, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Daryl, and thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah. me too. So, obviously, we went through a bit of your bio. Obviously, it's a long track record of accomplishments. I'm sure there were ups and downs and all that. But how did you first get started? Like, do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Was the air conditioning service business your first business, or did you have – like a like a lemonade stand or anything like how did you get going oh great three questions daryl i have uh i guess when ever since i was little uh, i had this entrepreneurial spirit and i think you know that and most people out there know that that it takes a spirit you 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 got to have a spirit to be an entrepreneur most people create jobs for themselves as you you mm-hmm. probably know mm-hmm. as well the air conditioning company was my first uh, actual, you know, real business, you would say, where I devoted – I needed to earn money to pay my bills with, so to speak. But my first business was a, um, a paper route other than, I should say, uh, before that, my dad had would always have uh, – get these little things like grit newspapers and my mom would – take vegetables and can them and I'd peddle them through the neighborhood. And that was my dad's way of wanting me to go out and meet people. That was his, um, that was his segment of life is you had to go be able to go shake people's hand, military guy, you know, you look them in the eye, you shake their hands, you introduce yourself, you know, that type of thing. And so when my first, uh, real business, I would say was my paper route. I was about 12 and, and I wanted a bike and, 
of course, all my friends have bikes, you know, that type of thing. My dad says, well, good, let's write a business plan. How are you going to pay for it? And uh, so we sat down and, and I said, well, I can get a paper route because that's what my friends were doing. And I said, I can get a paper route. And he says, okay, let's, let's work from that angle. And so you, and how much do you get? I get a nickel for uh, 25 cents a week. I get a nickel from each customer. How many customers are you, you going to get? Yada, yada. And we put this whole, what we would know today as a performa. And then it, we projected when I could have this, you know, bike paid off. And that's how it rolled. And we did that. And then uh, the next one was a lawnmowing business. I had to sit down with him and do the same thing. How many yards do I need? How, what can I make? How much can I afford to, to give? Pay gas, do this, put a little money in my pocket, you know, that type of stuff. And so that was my enterprise. You know, he's a kid and in high school, you know, you always do little things, find ways to make money. I was always a, a young man that was figuring out how to make some money. That um, it, sounds fantastic. I apologize for interrupting, but that is such a, a great way to set up a child for success. So even when you were like before you were old enough to work, your mom would can like veg fruits and vegetables and your dad sends you knocking door to door. He basically got you involved in door to door sales, meeting people, shaking exactly. hands. Wow. How old were you when that happened? That you blew my mind as soon as you said that. I guess that. Probably started when I was about uh, eight or ten, you know, about eight, nine, ten years old, something like that. When, you know, when you were out there. Yeah, uh, I can. My dad being a military man and my you know, family being military, mom stayed home. Mom was a stay at home mom. So and she took in ironing and she did things like that. And then she would go to the farmer's market and buy, you know, a, a, you know, Bushel, they call you know, bushel of, of vegetables. Like let's say she was going to have uh, green beans and this, that, and the other. And you know, she'd take them, fix them all up, blanch them off, get them out, put them in little jars, and I'd go around with my little wagon and I would, um, uh, you know, sell them. That is so awesome. I love that. And then, like you said, throughout your your adolescence, then it was never you were never encouraged to go get a job. You were encouraged, like, okay, how many customers do you need to get what you need for the paper mm -hmm. route for the that is so fantastic. Wow. So awesome. All right. That's part of my program even today is working backwards, figuring out what it, what do we need to do in order to get to where we want to be. Mm. Reverse engineering, beginning with the end in mind. And that's you can tell that, you know, one of my books is The Seven Habits. And that's, you know, so a lot of these books that you, you know, that I use are all based on the same sort of philosophies that you and I just that was instilled in me as a kid. Mm, 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 so I resonated mm. with them real, you know, real quick. Oh, wow. I've been learning this all my life type thing. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's just so because, you know, everybody's looking for the prodigal child and I have a martial arts background and everyone wants to be the gifted one. But science has been looking for them forever. And the reality is, is a, a ton of it is hours invested. Like at the end of the day, it's hours invested. My younger brother, my my I'm adopted. So my younger and he's even my stepbrother, but my younger stepbrother got started in bo 10 pin bowling when he was two years old. And now he's, what, he's 26 now? And I mean, he's got 24 years of experience. And so he just, and it's like, it's just so second nature to him, you know? Like, and he just crushes uh, his, his, his friends in that because he just has so many hours invested. It's such a powerful, powerful thing to just get someone started young. And even just the concept, like building relationships face-to-face, -face, like, you know, value proposition, uh, just going door-to-door. -door. Like, that is such, most of the most... I wouldn't say most, but a high percentage of the most successful entrepreneurs that I've uh, either interviewed or met 
or befriended or mentored under, they've all have had either door-to-door experience or at a stall, like in a market experience, like that face-to-face, kneecap-to-kneecap, talking to real people, which is such a powerful skill. Now, I, I, I refer to it as belly-to-belly. Belly-to-belly, yeah, that's the... <laughs> Which is real, you know, because people will confess a lot of things when they're opening up to you. And even and you know something yeah. else, and I'm sorry uh, for stepping on you, uh, but it's really hard for somebody to throw you out of their business. It's easy for them to hang on up on you, mm-hmm. but it's a lot harder to be rude to you by walking into their business. Mm-hmm. Now they have, you know, you have to understand, you know, you get it. You have to uh, figure out how to get past the gatekeeper and those little things, those become little tricks and new us. And I got a couple of great little tricks. If you'd like me to share one with you about getting past the gatekeeper, this is an, it's an oldie, but a goodie, but um, let's say it's a big company you're calling on. And uh, so you call up and you, you do your research because I'm a person that always likes to get every little bit of stuff I know can know about. I'll even dress like the company. I mean, I really I mean, I take it to far extremes, but I will. I will put on the same colors and that type of stuff, uh, especially in presentation mode. But uh, but anyway, so I was trying to I want to get into this company. So I did my research, found out that I'll call it Mr. Smith was the CEO. So I just called directly right and asked for the CEO of the company. Of course, I'm not going to deal with him. I'm going to deal in the marketing department. But anyway, so I call up and ask for uh, the CEO, knowing that I'm going to go right past the gatekeeper because the CEO has his own gatekeeper. He has a personal assistant outside his door. So anyway, so I call up and sure, girl puts me through. And so I'm the, the other lady answers. And I said, hi, this is, you know, Terry Ogren, and I'd like to speak to Mr. Smith. And what's this in regards to? And I said, well, I have this great campaign about uh, da, 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 da. And she goes, oh, no, you don't need to talk to him. You need to talk to Mr. Jones and marketing. I said, oh, really? What what is his extension? And she goes, it's da 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 da. And I said, okay, well, thank you very much. So I go back now, and a second, couple seconds later, I call back into the same girl. I said, yeah, I was just, uh, I just spoke with you a second ago, and you put me through to this, to the CEO. Do you, oh yeah, 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 okay. And I was informed that I need to speak to Mr. Jones. Can you put me through to extension 1585? Mm, mm, mm. That's right. No more gatekeepers. Right through to who you need to speak to. Just a little, and she doesn't know any of She's sitting on the phone, right? So just a little thing. So yeah, it's just figuring out all. And there's all these little nuances that you can do to get past them. Um, and the tougher the gatekeeper, the easier the sale. Mm, the mm. easier the gatekeeper, the tougher the sale. Right, because they're letting everybody through to harass. Right, so you've got to. Different kind of prospect. Now, Terry, I want to ask you, what were some of the biggest obstacles that you've had to face in your business career from early age until even today? Well, it would start with my uh, the air conditioning company. Um, the idea there was I was fired out of the car business, married, got two kids, um, wife has a job. Uh, but you know how uh, wives and girlfriends do sometimes they you have your money and I have mine because she had two kids and you know because we kind of did it like that so I paid up my end of the bills and uh, so I had this hundred and eighteen dollars left and uh, I've been fired out of the car business and in the car business you get a car you know so that's that and of course your insurance is paid no so there we are so um, going through that I was told of course that nobody's going to you know, you're not going to last six months. And 
if it hadn't been for a bunch of mentor, good mentors and people who took me under their wing, probably so, because the likelihood of me surviving would have uh, was slim to none. Uh, but as we're going forward, what I learned was that what I'd really done was create a job. I didn't create an, a business. I just created a job for myself and I was actually working. And uh, so then I just as I grew and learned and started bringing people on, I then started to learn that the best way to build a business is from the top down. You hear many times people say, well, I bootstrapped my business up. I started from the ground up and so forth and so on. And that is true. And you'll hear that a lot. But you don't hear about the person who ran spent all their money, liquidated all their assets, and ran their business into the ground. They're not running around, you know, sharing that story <laughs> with you, right? Right. Success as many fathers is, with failure as an orphan. The truth is that 80% or even better, you know, fail in the first uh, five years. However, when you build your business from the top down, and this is what I impress upon people, you have a better than a 90% chance of success. So – Thinking about all the things that you need to put in place, like when I didn't think about this one, the air conditioning business, but I needed a accounts payable, accounts receivable, a bookkeeper, and all those little tasks that need to get done, you still have to have them. Somebody had to put out the advertising. Somebody had to do this, that, and the other. And I was it, but I didn't know what those tasks were. So you now today's we, in today's world, we can decide what those tasks are, assign those responsibilities and when we're going to do them. And instead of instead of um, you hiring people, you're delegating Tuesday morning is I'm going to have the accountant hat on uh, Thursday morning. I'm going to have the marketing hat on so forth and so on. Ah. You show up to work as a different person. Right. So you designate each day of the week for So in the beginning, before you have the ability to hire people, because that's something I, I actually just, it's funny because I, I have a coaching program that I do and I just uh, released a workout basically on that doing an accountability chart where you write out all the, ta exactly you said, all the tasks that have to happen in the business, group them into transferable skills or common, like common groups and then uh, and entitle them and now you've got the different departments or areas or things like exactly like you said but i love that that because in the beginning that's always a challenge for people is what do i do when i can't hire someone well you have to do that well how do you time block that out well then monday's your accounting day tuesday's your marketing day wednesday's your that's a great strategy i really like that i really like that so so what was the next business challenge that you had to discover or how did that help you in your like once you figured that part out what was the next problem that you faced well, you probably have heard a gabillion stories, so to speak. Uh, one of mine is that uh, about six people strong now, and uh, it's in Florida, uh, in the air conditioning business, there's really no winter. It's When you get here in Florida, you know, it, the wintertime is just ideal weather. It's just perfect weather, not too cold, not too hot. Everything's great. So um, we got into a little uh, money crunch. And so we only had a, we had enough money to make the, the uh, phone bill. We had enough to pay the phone bill. We had enough to make payroll. Now, remembering that the phone in the air conditioning world or in the service business is back in those days, the phone book was everything. I mean, you didn't have anything else but the phone book. And uh, so I called all my team in. Like I said, there were six of us. And I said, OK, guys, we got enough money to make the phone bill and we got enough money to, to pay payroll. I don't have both. So it's your money, so you tell me what we should do with it. Uh. And one of my uh, workers said, 
can we have some money? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, we can fig we, we got a pot of money and we can, do, we can, we, we get to use it. We can do this, this and that. Um, so we sat down and we logically figured out what we could do. And this person got that. And, oh, I don't need my check. And I had money coming in, just wasn't there. It was time for payroll. And so I would have never been any further in business had they chose to take their pay and, and run, you know? Uh, many stories of uh, crunching because of starting it, uh, creating a job for myself rather than creating a business for myself. I found myself a lot of times running to the bank by two o'clock. We would exhaust our mornings figuring out how to get our money together through receivables and this and that and collecting tickets and bringing these guys in or whatever. And um, so we could get to the bank so we could release the checks for that day. So. You face a lot of challenges when you're working behind the eight ball. Now, good enough that the people that I that believed in me, uh, I've, I've always been, even since I was a young man, very transparent, very open. Yeah, that came through. That Just in how you handled that situation, I think, not only creates better camaraderie, because it's all about the team. Like Whether you create the job for yourself or you have the business with the team running it for you, in both cases, you still need help from other people. And just right, right off the bat, it, like you said, it, the transparency, it just shines really through that you're really inclusive and a really good either team lead and just people person because that not a lot of people do that. They would have an anxiety mentality and they would almost be totalitarian and, and like a dictator. And, you know, I think I've probably done that a couple of times where it's like, hey, this is the way it has to be because the business has to continue because, you know, and you're making decisions for people, which might be the best thing at the end of the day. But people still want to have a sense of control and, you know, and, and the an influence over their life and the direction and decision. So just a very smart way to handle it. So sorry, keep going. Well, and keeping on to what you just said, to me, when you lay all your cards out on a table, and I think you, if you see that came from my dad as well, when you lay your cards out there, uh, people appreciate that. You know, even with you, just your friends or you're picking, you know, I have a pickup game at basketball game or whatever you pick. People have, um, you know, this this um, sense of belonging. And if they feel like they're a part of the decision, they will make, you know, push comes to shove. Typically, they'll make the right decision. Yep. Now, there were, and if the person didn't make the right decision, then obviously you don't need them on your team. Yes, yes. That becomes very instructive where people can, you know, and, and for some companies, you might be afraid to do that, but you're better to get rid of them now than to hold on to them. And just because, I mean, the wrong person on the team, it's just like it's it's bad. for It's like a parasite in your intestines. Like it's just bad for the whole system. It just is. A, and, yeah. Correct. And what I say is, is that you can only go as fast as your slowest vehicle. You can only go as fast as your slowest person. Yep. So if we have to, you know, like, you know, it'd be great, you know, you're on a convoy and you got a tank, a Jeep and a truck and a motorcycle. Well, you can only go as fast as the tank. It doesn't matter. You're not going to lose your coverage, you know. So um, that and then you have, you know, of course, you have employee issues and like uh, especially in the service business. And I'll share this quick story with you. Um People wanted their air conditioners fixed. Obviously, they would call. But I discovered that their wants and needs were totally different. They needed their air conditioner fixed because it wasn't working. But, Daryl, do you know what they really wanted? What did they really want? Me to fix it on their time, on their time schedule. Mm. 
think about that now. Think that deeply uh-huh, now because uh-huh. everybody – Okay, so so I would go to my technicians and I would say, okay, guys, how do we make this work? And they go, Terry, you can't be done. I said, what do you mean can't be done? It's got to be done. we got to fix this. And they go, no, it's been this way for years and years and years. The technicians are in control. When they get on the job, we never know if we're going to be there an hour. We're going to be there five hours. We don't know that. And I say, well, I'll fix this. I'll figure out something. And it was two-way radios. So we put two-way radios in each person's truck. And so then uh, the, I took the power out of the technician's hand, put it into my dispatcher's hand. The dispatcher uh, sent you – so we could schedule your time. You called me up. We could get you from 8 to 10, 9 to 11. So I had a two-hour window. So when you call, I say, okay, here's your time slots. You pick the slot that you want. So, okay, can you – I'll have somebody there between 12 and 2 uh, this afternoon. Great. Okay, good. Now I'd send the truck there. Okay, the person gets out and, you know, diagnoses the the problem and he sells you the work and he comes back and he calls in and he gets permission or he gets no permission. Yes, we can get the job done. I have the part uh, I have the part of my truck and it's going to take me about uh, an hour and a half, two hours. So I go back to you. Yes, we have the part. Here's the It's going to take us two hours. And. Daryl says, uh, and when can you do it? We can do it now, or when would you like it done? Well, I need to get back to work, so can you guys be here at 5 o'clock this afternoon? Can you guys be here tomorrow morning at 6? Whatever. Mm. And we would come back on your time schedule. Yep, yep, yep. And that, I mean, for that sort of service, you could probably charge an extra an extra little bit because of how custom it is. And people would happily pay it because it's just a better solution. People, I feel like too often in business, people are worried about being the cheapest solution instead of just being the best. Like what I love there is that you just went to do it, like you went to solve the problem how people wanted it solved. You know, and, and I didn't even ask, so I don't know what your prices were relative to your competitors. But the reality is, is that if you're the best solution, like I have an Apple computer and the power cords are like 100 bucks, and a power cord for a PC is like $5, $10. Do you know what I mean? But for what I do, I find that, you know, and maybe I'm just caught up in the, the frenzy, whatever, but I feel like it's the better tool for what I need. I don't have to worry about virus software. All You know what I mean? Like I just plug it in and it works. And so it might cost me a little bit more, but I'm it's a better fit solution. And it, the other thing is that you're you're just really in tune to the customer's needs. Hyper relevancy is everything, especially in today's day and age. Like I just love, again, it comes back to just really being in tune with the people in your business and really in tune with your customers. Cause like you said, you know, what's the benefit of the benefit? What are you really selling? Right? Like for you, you weren't just selling how to fix the air conditioner. You were like how to fix the air conditioner, a convenient schedule because you probably work a nine to five. And so it's a pain in the butt when you have someone that's coming to your house and you just have to leave the door unlocked all day and you don't know if they came or didn't come. Like, you know what I mean? That's a lot of, it's just an, it's an awkward, uncomfortable experience. And so if I can have you come and we can communicate and you can give me exact times and I can be there or not like I'll pay the extra whatever, you know, because it's just going to be done better. So I love that. That's yeah. Good, good. Um, two things get, came to mind when you mentioned that. Uh, one case, uh, it, this was more common than I would say, not often, but every once in a while, we would have customers call us and say, hey, listen, my air conditioner's broke. I've taped a, um, a check, uh, 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 put a check on the, the refrigerator. Um, you have your guy here, come here, take care. And like you said, it was wide open house, checks on the refrigerator sign, blank check. We would go, that's how much trust we had built. Now, as far as our price goes, we were 
um, considered to be one of the most uh, expensive uh, companies out there. Not that we would we were overpricing as much as we were just we got paid because we we need I need to make a profit obviously and I knew how to how to make that happen. Um, so um, we there was a little one of the supply houses had a little brainstorming thing. We were in we call it masterminds today, but back then it was brainstorms. You know brainstorming mm-hmm. session. We would have that and. So they were sitting around one night, and I was I had didn't wasn't attending that session, and they were all sitting around, and they said, "Oh well, Terry beats us up on price, and this, that, and the other." And this, and the guy that ran the supply house says, "Do you think Terry passes his discounts on to the customers?" And they go, "Yeah, that's exactly how he's winning all these bids and getting all this work." And Steve says, "No way." He says Terry's Terry's beating you guys on customer service. <laughs> he's not beat. He's one of the most. His prices are higher than most anybody sitting at this table. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the, like, the lowest common denominator. Everybody thinks they have to compete on price. But the reality is, is price is the worst way to compete because there's no, there's, no competitive, there's no competitive advantage. There's no safeguard from someone else coming in. I mean even if your margins are like razor thin and you've found some way through hyper-efficient systems to make it work, the reality is that there's nothing protecting you from some suicidal idiot coming into your market and offering something at you know, prices that are driving their business into the ground. And, you know, and if your only competitive advantage is price, like they're, they'll be in business, even if they're suicidal, they'll be in business long enough to upset your apple cart. You know? And so it's just it's terrible. Just be the best. Like why not the best? Why not be the best? You know, people, everybody recognizes ex- excellence. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of CrossFit, and one of the smartest things I feel like I've ever heard – uh, from that community in any in any regards was Greg Glassman, the founder. He said, you know, markets ultimately are unknown and unknowable. Like you can't really know the market. There's churn. There's people that come in and leave the market. It's such an you know an ambiguous, vague thing. You can't really know the market. But you do. Everybody recognizes excellence, and if markets are efficient, and so why not just be excellent? Because if you're exactly. excellent, everybody you know, like it just is obvious to everybody. So. I told a, I told one of my clients yesterday, you, from this day forward, new client coming on board. It was an onboarding process. Uh, we've been just a few weeks. And I said, your enemy to, from this day forward is good. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, we don't want you to be good anymore. We want you to be excellent. So when you when you elevate yourself to that, and a couple of things that come to mind was that Disney World, for an example. Disney World does not see another uh, theme park as a competitor. Do you know who they think is their competitor? I'm going to say themselves. Nope. Nordstrom's or something like L.L. Bean, Zappos, something like that. Really? Why? Because of the guest experience. When you go to Nordstrom's, in every Nordstrom's, there's a tire that hangs in the back room of, of every store to remind each staff member of the little old man who brought his tires back, brought his tires back and got a refund from from Nordstrom's. You know what's wrong with that picture? What's wrong? They don't sell tires. They don't sell tires. But this little old man in his 80s, if I remember the story correctly, he evidently he bought uh, his tires from a location that uh, that Nordstrom's took over. And so he came back with his receipt. The address was on the receipt. And so uh, they didn't want to argue with him. So they just gave him his hundred and eighty something dollars back. Huh. 
L.L. Bean, Zappos, you can call up. And I was talking with uh, I was on a podcast the other day with somebody. We we're talking about the same kind of thing. And he told me he and I made this statement. I said, if you call up Zappos and by mistake and you want a pizza and he jumped in and he goes, you did not just say that. And I said, yeah, I said, this is what they were they rethinking. And I'm thinking that he's not believing. He says, no, I just I did that same thing. I called them and ordered a pizza and they sent one to me. That is hilarious. Whatever you now, they're not a profitable company if you look at them from that aspect, but the customer is never wrong. So even with my system, I elevated myself from I'm not a consultant, I'm not a coach. I'm in business development. If you see you see my stuff, it all tags is business development because I contribute to the bottom line of the business. Now, I may have to be, you know, I may have to coach you through some situations. I may have to be a consultant and help you through some some deals. I may even be your therapist. But I am going to focus my attention on your bottom line and make you money. Now, when my client, you know, when I have, you know, I have my clients today, I just onboarded two new ones in the last six months. But all the others are been with me for three years or longer. Mm-hmm. That's and awesome. it's 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 only because it, you know if you're making that client money they're going to want to keep you because you know business is growing and of course I have to stay educated and keep up with all the new you know can you imagine me sitting back in 2009 saying all oh, this Facebook stuff is going to be crazy don't even bother with it it's a fad <laughs> we wouldn't even be talking on Skype right now right but um, the other thing that came to mind was that my organizational chart is upside down. So that means that the customer is the boss. And then your frontline people, the people who deal with the customers, they're the ones that are working in the business. And this is a philosophy that that I brought to uh, Radio Shack, uh, was turn it upside down and let's let the customers tell us, you know, communicate to us we put the frontline people working in the business we put the middle management people working on the business and then we put the high level people working on the vision of the company the mm, mm, whole mm. different aspect of, of of transformation through business when the customer and then your middle management people so if something gets passed let's say that you your frontline people uh, get hit with a, a, a problem that uh, or a challenge that uh, they can't solve well now our middle management team can go to work on putting a system or process in place that prevents that from ever coming to their level again this is empowering you empower your people to make mistakes. You empower them to fall on their, you know, I'm the guy that says, okay, you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to stumble. I know it, but I'm going to be here with some pillows and I'm going to throw them down just so you don't scrap up your knees because I need you back up, you know. So you want to be there to kind of catch them, but you want them to go ahead and make, make some mistakes because that's the only way you're going to learn. Well, yeah, and that's – and you know, and to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. I mean people are afraid of making mistakes. People are afraid of upsetting customers. People are afraid a lot. But the reality is you got to be out there and your business in six years – most businesses will have an entirely new customer base in six years depending on what industry you're in. But for a lot of businesses – and so that means you're going to have a whole new group of people coming through your doors who have different wants and needs and those are evolving and changing. 
And the only way to stay abreast of that is almost like you say, like if you're getting feedback from people as they come in over time. And that's how you get businesses that get really bloated and outdated and then somebody new comes in with some sort of disruptive technology or they just started from scratch with where the people are at now today and what they want and they blow up the old business because it's built on old structures, on old pillars, on old ideologies that haven't evolved with the customers in the times. So I really love that. Can you walk us through that again? The customers are the boss. Uh, frontline, I, did, I, I forget what we said for the frontline, but middle management, they were the ones that did the systems and processes, and then the higher-ups did the vision, right? Exactly. So the, the frontline people, the ones that have the interaction with the customer, they're dealing in the technical side of the business. Mm, okay, got it. Okay. And the middle management, they're working on training programs and trainings and things like that, education, so that it, that the lines of communications, you know, can remain open, you know, and, and they can keep busy. Because you think about it, if you if somebody come into you and, and you're dealing with a customer service issue and the customer service person gets involved, you're paying them a salary. OK. And if that customer service person can't solve their problem and then they got to go get the office manager. Well, now you got two people trying to solve one problem. Now that astronomically, the price went up. Yep. Yeah, for you, yeah, for you, the cost to serve that customer is now increasing because exactly. that frontline customer can't just solve the problem. They got to go get five signatures and there's got to be a, a committee that meet to discuss, to review, when it could just be the simplest thing. And I mean, you should just, if you don't hire idiots, you know, like you should just filter those people out. If the person can't really solve that problem, either there's something wrong with your training program or you're not getting qualified people, right? And I, Exactly. Yeah. And in my, even when I explain to people how to hire people, my system is about three-step interview process. And each each interview process or each interview is handled by a different person with the last person hiring them is the the one they report to. Mm. So I may have a lower level person do the first interview just to qualify to see if they're qualified in the into the system. Okay, they have to have qualification. Then the next person, maybe the uh, owner of the company does the second interview simply because he wants to make sure that this person can adapt to the culture that we're de dealing with, okay? And then the third person is the person who is going to go over the, um, I call them position contracts because my stuff is a little bit more on, the, you know, I call it steroids type. It's not just a job description, but it's an actual contract that's broken up into four pieces. One, um, explaining that how it ties to our strategic plan or our action plan. The second step is the work that must be done to ensure that the uh, their part of the strategic plan is up upheld. The third section is how we're going to evaluate it. We evaluate it by grading it. We don't do essays. You actually can score it based on zero to five or one to 10, whatever. And then the last part is your compensation and how you're going to be compensated for a, at a grade at this place or this level, this level. So you incentivize them to score higher on their, on their job task or their, their job uh, description. And then you both sign it. And then when you sit down with that person at the end of the quarter, and I do think quarterly, because technology is moving so fast, we can't have your goals anymore. You can have an idea where a year is, and then, but you want to chunk it down to a quarter. And at the end of the quarter, you and I would sit down, 
You would have a copy of your, your position contract. I would. I would grade it. You would grade it. We would swap papers, and then we go over each line and come up with a grade that we both agree on. That's a win-win concept of uh, we both agree. Now, if any doubt would go to you. Let's say that I'm going along and, and you found a loophole in this line. And, well, you didn't – that wasn't – that's kind of a, a – Yeah, you give uh, me the benefit of the there. doubt because you got to be okay, invested in people, right? People, exactly. So you give it to them. People I'm gonna want to do a good job. Up. Sorry, I'm gonna, and I'm going to clean that lineup. Sorry, but I'm going to clean that lineup so next time you're not going to be able to catch me on that loophole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and we both agree on it. And people want to do good at their work. So it might just be that you're – because this is something that I find uh, as really common is business owners, they they often don't articulate themselves well. They expect their staff to read their minds. And so people don't know what's expected or they don't have clear expectations or they don't know what a good job looks like. And so that's something that really needs to be clearly articulated. And so I think your system is really profound. Now, I've got two questions because I know there's two prob- probably two things people listening to this might be thinking. And one is, how do I make enough money or know when to hire someone? Because that money has got to come out of someone's pocket. So when you talk about managing it from the top, how do you how do you know when you can afford or even if you can't afford, when do you know you need to hire someone? That's set up in your performa. Now, performa is – been done away with. We use QuickBooks and everything's getting into this, you know, past accounting, more concept than, than future accounting. But when you're, when you, I write business plans, uh, you know, as well, funding plans get money. And one of the plans that I wrote was a uh, couple years back was for a, um, a person coming in from, from United Kingdom. And he, you have, he wanted an EB5 visa. And to get that, you have to invest in a uh, half million dollars minimum to a company. It's got to be failing. you got to put on 10 people in two years. And they have this whole structure in order, uh, Homeland Security. And very few people can get their business plans through them. And in fact, two people that tried this for this guy failed at getting past the um, Homeland Security. I was fortunate enough to be brought into the picture. We got his visa, and that was fine. But do, when you create your performa, what happens is you increase your business, and then as you increase your business, you have to understand your workload. And so when you anticipate your business is growing, let's say it, and my goal is always 30% a quarter. So if you're shooting for that and you're hitting your, your earmarks, then what you, you, you think about bringing your person on before you get the business. And this is where a lot of companies make mistakes. They, they want the business on board before they hire the person. Now, here's the, the problem with that. The problem is that you got a workforce you got three people in this little world. They're already stressed. They're overworked. And now and you're bringing all this business and you keep overworking, you keep piling on the work. And then you as the owner think, well, when I get one more client, that'll be enough for me to bring the person on. Well, meantime, you've exhausted. You've, you've lopped the head off of your golden goose and that person quits. Now you got the new person coming on. And in the middle of this, you have one person who is jetted and now you have another person that you – train you don't have enough time to train uh-huh. this new person and now you're in total chaos so my advice is always bring the person on board your people are not liabilities they're in my system they're assets That's right so so you train them up front you have them ready so when you're bringing the business in they're already ready to go there's no it seems it just 
So many companies, uh, you know, they hire people and the first day of the show up. And I had the same problem when I was in, in the air conditioning world. Uh, some, one of the teams would hire somebody and they'd be going and I'd come into the office and I'd say, Mary Beth, why is what's that guy staying? Who's that guy? So that's our new technician. So why is he standing here for? He said, well, we haven't gotten time for we haven't gotten time to get him uh, his paperwork done yet. So. We're paying him to stand here. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't have this. We didn't think about this in the beginning. So that's what provoked me to start doing more of that onboarding process earlier uh-huh. and getting that person ready for the business. So we don't we can make a smooth transition like merging onto a highway. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, no, I love that. So we don't wait till we get business. We get we anticipate the business coming on. So then we and we know it's coming on because our track is sh- showing this coming. Then we're not we shouldn't be afraid because we're going to lose a lot more money than we would if we put it in training. Now the next step is uh, which I this perfect segue into the next part that I know people are going to ask is okay. So all right, I onboard people in advance, anticipating sales, so I can train them up and maintain quality control. But what do you do if sales are sluggish? What do you do if you're not meeting that demand? And and there's I know that's a big open-ended question. So I think the biggest thing is how do you solve? Well, the first I, I think where you're going with this is the first thing that we have to do is we have to get the company on a on a, a trend. Okay, so we that means the first thing we can't be on this roller coaster. And a lot of businesses, especially the ones that I get involved in, are on this roller coaster concept they're up and down they they go out and prospect a lot market a lot whatever get business come in and they stop their marketing process then they go to solving the problems they created then they run out of these these uh solutions and now they go out and remarket they start marketing again we'll never build any type of business um with any sustainable growth doing that uh you would just be up and down until you get just exhausted and you either quit or something happens but if you're building a business based on a trend graph that you see it and you're growing your business, like I said, mine is based on 30 percent uh, growth every quarter. And if you're if you set up a trend graph, you know when to bring those people on because the the, the trend tells you when to bring them on. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, 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 uh. It takes that whole it takes that whole uh, problem solving equation out of the out of the out of the mix. Now. Do you rely a lot on paid advertising? Are you a big advocate for that? In my world, there's two types of advertising. There is um, mass advertising, and I'm not a fan of that. Um, The mass advertising means that you're throwing money at it. Now, here's the problem with that. Our brains work in this fashion. We have to see something, Daryl, three times before it registers once. We have to see it nine times before we believe it. So that means we've got to run 27 impressions in order to get the customer to believe that we're going to be there when we when they need us. With direct marketing, which is more of that cold calling, direct marketing concept, you, you can get your business in the door faster with five to 12 touches. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, that can be made up of text, email, phone, belly to bellies, um, uh, any of those five ways. And this way you can you can build rapport with people. We need to think about something new. You're talking about earlier about how businesses is changing. We got a big change coming 
uh, to us right now, and it hasn't anything to do with with uh, technology, anything like that. The big shift in business is something called neural linguistics programming. Uh-huh. Have you heard of it? Uh-huh. NLP. Yep. Yep. Okay, so you're seeing it even more and more now in all your advertising. You're seeing it in people, you know, people using it. Tony Robbins is a big fan of NLP. Well, we need to teach our, our the business and the business owners the importance of neurolinguistics programming. This is how it used to be that uh, product knowledge was the key. If I had the knowledge, then I was the sought-after person. But it's not Product knowledge now is not the end-all, be-all. Consumer knowledge is now the is what we need to know. Is what are their buying behaviors? What are you know? What's their trigger points? How do we put triggers in place? Um, what's going to get them to uh, to move? Eighty-six percent of the people start their buying process online, uh, no matter who we are. Okay, so the, the reason they do that is because they are afraid they're going to be sold. So they get educated. So now NLP allows us to build rapport with the client so we're not selling them. The new model of sales has the an upside-down triangle. You can Google this, new model of sales, and it shows that the 40% of the encounter, the first 40% of our encounter should be about building trust and rapport with our, with our uh, consumer. 30% of our time should be discovering what their wants and needs are. And then the 20% of our time is spent presenting to the needs. We don't need to present to all of their needs. We need to find out what's the most important needs and make sure that, that we present to those needs. And then the, that leaves only 10% for gaining commitment. Right. We don't even close them anymore. Right. You just gain commitment. Which is just confirming the sale. Exactly. So if you've done all of this through NLP, you've done this the right way. All you've done, like uh, one of the NLP things is most people are always wanting to go for yes. You would have to agree with me on that, right? You want to go for yes. Correct. Creating yes chains. The problem with that, the, the, the problem with that is that there are three different yeses. What do you mean by that? There's a yes that I agree with you. There's a yes for a commitment. And there's a yes to make you go away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. So now with NLP, what we can do is go for no. Right. We go for no. We say something like, uh, Daryl, is there any reason for us? Uh, is there any reason that you and I can't get together uh, to discuss this matter next week? Right, right, right. No, no at all. Okay, great. When would you like to make an appointment? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, you your no now becomes that. And like you, uh, uh, I heard you mention a, a second ago. Uh, yes sets. This is very, very important as well. Getting that customer used to saying yes. Okay. Then once, sometimes I will, uh, I will ask questions when I know the answer is no. Would you like to hear a couple of those? Okay. Um, do you have a business plan? <laughs> do you have an action plan? Do you have time management system? Do you have a prospecting system? Do you have a performance budget? Uh-huh. Well, most of the people that are going to answer no to those questions. Right, which now you're eliciting so like a – I should have should one. should have one, right. I should have that. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine I'm not you – know? so this is you know, part of understanding the consumer's behavior. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's brilliant. So now I want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up to the top end of the call, but I wanted to ask just a couple other questions before we do reach that, and that's – do you feel that there's any habits that you have helped you on your path to success or that your most successful clients have? 
habits are, are, are learned and unlearned. It takes 21 days either way. You got to, it takes 21 days to learn one, takes 20. What I find to be the best is, is, is challenging your beliefs. Habits are nothing more than belief systems. And the, these belief systems are instilled in us through our peers and people and then markets and different things. Okay. So we want to challenge that. And when we challenge our relief, that means that we only need to think about these four things. First, to change the behavior, because that's really what a habit is, isn't it? It's a behavior, uh-huh. right? So to change that behavior, the first thing we have to do is make a decision that we want to change that behavior, number one. Number two, make put disciplines in your life to make sure that you hold up your decision. You can't be able to build a business and be on the beach half the day. Right. The third thing is you have to put – you have to – be decisive about the your time, meaning you have to be decisive about the action steps you're going to take. Is this moving me to my target or is it moving, moving me away from my target? So we have to be decisive about how uh, and what we do to, um, to um, move this uh, belief system. And then the th- fourth thing is visualize the outcome. And I mean vividly. I mean, even if you have to draw a rendering of what it is that you want, have a clear picture in your mind of what this new decision is going to look like when it's completed. And if you put those four disciplines or those four uh, tasks in your life, decision, disciplines, decisiveness, and visionary, you should you should win on all counts. Mm, 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 mm. Uh, one more I like to add because I find it's helpful for me, is especially if it's a new behavior, is to have an if-then. So, for example, like if you're trying to give up sugar, to have like if or even people that try to quit smoking, right? Like if you're always getting in your car, if I'm in the car and I feel like I, I need to cheat and have a cigarette, then I'll do blank. You know, like to have some sort of contingency plan for – so that way you don't actually commit to behavior. But we know when you're weak. You know when those times happen. You know, like if I'm supposed to stretch every night before bed and I go to bed without stretching, then I'll stretch first thing in the morning. You know, that sort of thing. Like some sort of contingency plan so that way you at least keep consistent to the plan. Because a lot of people, you know, they're, they fall on and off the wagon, on, right, like on their way to their goal. So it just helps to, as long as you feel like you're gaining that momentum and habit stacking, or, or sorry, not habit stacking, but building those little bricks, because like you say, it takes 21 days, you know, and so you, if you fall off on day five, um, if you don't fall off all the way, it can help you feel like you keep that momentum, having something like that. But that's fantastic. Terry, you've given... Yeah, oh, my, my, I just wanted to share, because of, of that, answer that question, so to speak. Um, when I used to smoke... And when I found out that my son was going to be born, uh, this was in uh, 1980, I decided I was going to give up uh, cigarette smoking. So I used Lifesavers. Yep. Not because – actually two reasons. One is because cigarette smoking is an oral fixation. Okay. All right. So you satisfy the oral fixation with the Lifesaver. But you know what was the most important part about the the role of Lifesavers? Every time you ate one, you were saving your life. Ah, (laughs) I like that. And that's exactly the point. If you feel you really need to have a cigarette, then you're going to have some Lifesavers. Then you're going to chew a piece of gum instead. Then you're going to do that. If you can't just abstain. That's a fantastic example. Um, and it works. It really works. There's a ton of science behind that sort of thing that, it, you know, that. Um, well, we need to we need to understand our subconscious. 
most people uh, put no value into our subconscious because they're so vo- involved in the technical work or whatever they're doing, they lose track of the fact that our subconscious is what's actually in control. Our, our conscious mind is nothing more than a judge. The con- subconscious mind is a robot. Anything that we, uh, and you can uh, also, you probably know this. If you don't, you can Google this. We have something in the in the base of our brain called the reticular activating system. That's right. This, this is basically our executive secretary. Anything we put there, the subconscious will not let go of it until it gets it. That's right. Yeah, it's our th- it's our thermostat. It's like temperature control. Whereas if things get too hot, it kicks in to cool things down. If things get too cool, it kicks in things to heat it up. And that's where people self sabotage because if they don't feel they believe or deserve or that, like you said earlier in the call, that sometimes you might have to be a client's therapist. And that's reality because they have self limiting beliefs or they just have a sense of like I only deserve this. And the RAS, the reticular activation system, will hold them there if they don't. Essentially, you need to brainwash yourself. To, you know, you have to brainwash yourself and unbrainwash yourself because there's all sorts and it's all little small things, words your friends say. Like even just I, – I recently was taking care of three cousins of mine and, you know, and they would say things like, hey, loser, like stuff like like jokingly. But I, I put a stop to that because I'm like you don't understand what you're doing to each other. Like it's all lighthearted and fun but you're embedding that in each other's heads and you say that over and over and over again. It becomes like a mantra and then when no one's there and when you're like faced with a challenge or something, that's what's going to come up. And if your mind isn't strong enough, your body, your will is never going to overpower your mind. If you're jogging and your body is tired and, or you know, your mind wants to give up, your body is never going to be like, we can do it and carry you even though you've mentally given up. Once your mind gives up, it's over. And so you really need to protect that. And, in, you know, and it sounds, might sound funny, but you, you almost, you're almost better off to brainwash yourself to believe the impossible is possible than to fill yourself full of self-doubt and limiting beliefs and I can't and I shouldn't and this won't because you're never even going to try, you know. And, I mean, people don't even get, like, the amazing things that we've done. Like, we put people on the moon. Do you know what I mean? Like, we've doubled our life expectancy as a species. Right now, we are talking from other sides of the planet in real time. No other – like, we already are cyborgs. We're now with an apparatus on my head and a laptop. I'm now – more than a human do you know and so people don't get that like the the impossible is possible and the most and that's you know mind over matter is the simplest way to say it but it's true and so exactly you said the reticular activation system is your internal thermostat and if you have it set if it's your financial thermostat is set to twenty thousand dollars a year you're never going to get above that because that's all you think you deserve. Perfectly said. And it, yeah, as soon as you start making more than that, you're going to go, whoa, and your body's going to dial back, right? Well, actually, the truth is that when you start getting close to your 20,000, you'll start slowing down. Yep. Yes, yes. You won't you won't push past it because – and there's an old story, and you probably heard it uh, – uh, heard this before, but uh, this is old, old the sales t- – uh, with a salesperson in play, and he, he made 25,000 his first year. So then they put him in uh, an area where he could make 50 and he didn't make – he made 25. So then they put him in an area where he could maybe make five or 10,000 and he made 25 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because he had to. Yep, yep. But anyway, 
Yeah. Um, no, but that's so well I'm said. I'm sure we're at the end. No, that's so well said. You know, That's actually uh, – yeah, that's the sidebar. But, Terry, this has been a great call. It's been fantastic on not only the, like principles to raise successful entrepreneurs as kids and imbue them with life skills that will serve them lifetime. We also talked about some life skills that people themselves – perhaps should develop if they want to be business uh, owners and entrepreneurs. Also talked about a different way to look at our business as opposed to creating a job, making a checklist of all the things that you do in a day and find somebody else to do them so you can look at your business from the top down and then, you know, and, and start tweaking the systems and building it like a machine and, and like, again, like a service that operates. Like when you go through McDonald's drive through they're never like, sorry, Sally's burnt out. She's put in clocked 80 hours this week. drive throughs closed. Like that doesn't happen because that job is interchangeable where they can hire someone, train them up in a couple of weeks, put them in there, and somebody else will get the work done. So some great lessons, some great tools in, uh, in this call for the listeners. Is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? No, I think we got a lot of ground covered in the hour that we spent together. It's been an awesome call. It's been one of the best podcasts that, that I have been on as a guest, oh, uh, you, and Terry. I thank you for that. Thank you, Terry. And I, and I have an offer, too, for your, your guest and yourself if if um, yes. when you're ready for that. Please, yes, please let us know what it is and how people can get involved and how they can reach out to you. Okay, great. It's very easy uh, and simple. Uh, way I do things, you go. All you have to do is go to either one of my websites, OgburnsBusinessSolutions.com or TerryOgburn.com. Uh, click on the uh, Contact Us button. Uh, there will be will be a place for you to uh, put in your name and your email address and a problem that you're having. My offer to your guest is that I will spend a half hour with any any person working on a solution for a problem they have. No sales pitch, no, it's not an upsell, won't be any of that. It's just me and that person locking down and spending a half hour creating some solutions to a problem they may be having. Mm, that is fantastic. That is such a great idea. And for those listening to this, I highly recommend you take Terry up on that because obviously you know he's got the goods and years of experience in making this work. And even though there might be new technology and AI and yada, 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 certain principles and strategies are timeless and they still work. And obviously we're still staying on top of things and, and so it's not like any of this is outdated by all any means. It's it's practical stuff. The customers are still people. The staff you know, delivering the product or service are still people. And the results are still the same. They're still counted in dollars. So I highly recommend that you reach out to Terry. I I, I don't know. I, you guys heard it for yourself. I think this is a fantastic call. Terry, I really appreciate your time and coming and sharing with us. I appreciate your transparency, your candor, your easy-to-get-along-with personality, and obviously just the commitment you've made to mastering your craft and helping other people. Um, so thank you. Oh, thank you for allowing me on, too. It's, it's, it's been a great show. It's been a great show. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you. Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. 
I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.